0: the hood follow us on the ground at igjhood and at espn underscore chicago this is chicago's home for sports espn 1000
1: under the hood with jonathan hood on espn 1000 and the brand new espn chicago app got a heck of an nfl draft and still question marks on what the bears could have done what they have done. We turn to Howard Griffith, the two-time Super Bowl champion analyst for the Big Ten Network. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, here on ESPN One Thousand as we review the draft. Hello, Howard.
2: How are we doing, Hoodie? You hanging in there? Uh,
1: I I don't know. I, I'm <laughs> that's a, come just,
2: on, oh, man. <laughs> just trying
1: to trying to figure it out. Um, so so I'll ask you this. So the question is, if you draft Cole Komet, then why did uh-huh. you give money to Jimmy Graham for a retirement plan.
2: <laughs> right, because you, you you have to assume right, that if you take Cole from that that high, he's going to be a big part of what you're going to do offensively. I, I think what you're going to see probably is some, a, a lot of two tight end sets. And, and what I mean by that, ne- not necessarily in a run situation, but where you see Cole or you see, uh, you see both tight ends. They're really stretched out. And trying to uh maybe catch the defense in in a different personnel because you got two tight ends that can get out there and and be very athletic so you i guess they're going to try to find some mismatches uh as they prepare for the season you
1: mean like san francisco right or maybe (laughs) kansas city like that kind of confusion stuff like that
2: yeah i I think that's what they're, they're looking for um you know, Cole is going to be a, a a really talented guy. When you when you just watch him, you just when you just first lay eyes on him, you see just how physical and imposing that he, he is at this particular point. Now, he's not a great inline blocker. That's not why the Bears grasped him. But he's a guy that I think over his time in the National Football League is going to become a better uh, inline blocker. So it's not so so much of a tail that the ball is probably going away from him or the ball is going to be thrown to him. So I think he'll continue to develop uh, as a tight end, and, and I think he's going to have a successful career in the National Football League.
1: You know, there's a lot of um, question marks on how come the Bears did not address the wide receivers You know, earlier in yeah. the draft, but I think it's what we talked about before, Howard. When you are, are trading your draft picks trying to win now, trying to plug the gaps on your football team, throwing money here on the defensive line, throwing money here at tight end, throwing money and making deals to get another quarterback. When you don't have the draft capital, it's hard for you to get the type of players, young players that you want. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the wide receiver position is, is the way it looks.
2: And you think about this, maybe, there were some uh, some really talented wide receivers when they, when they took Colt, And that's why you have to believe that maybe – this is the direction they want to go, as far as the fit and what they want to look like, uh, as far as an offense is concerned, uh, with the bigger tight ends or the bigger wide receivers that they can throw at teams and maybe create some mismatches. If you look at a guy um, like KJ Hamler they end up going to uh, Denver. I mean, it, from Penn State, he's explosive as it gets, and he's going to be a day one contributor. You know, I, I think the Cole's going to be a day one contributor too, but. When you look at some of the wide receivers that were still available to them in the second round, you know, they're very explosive and able to make some plays happen for them.
1: Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I want to just switch to the Big Ten with you as far as players that were drafted. There's no doubt that Chase Young is going to be a, a special player. Uh, people try to compare him to the Bosa's. I would yeah. say that if I'm Chase Young, I'm trying to be above them. Uh, I mean, the yeah. Bosa's already have their they, – you know, they, they've got their uh, their situation locked up as yep. up-and-coming young players are difference makers, but I've, I'm Chase – I'm trying to be better than that. But as far as some of the others, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on players like Akuta, uh, from, uh that went to Detroit Lions, also David mm-hmm. Arnett, the senior yeah. that went to Las Vegas. What, what stands out about those players?
2: You know, uh, when I saw those guys this past summer, uh, and I was telling people, I said, look, they legitimately have three first-rounders that they're going to roll out on the field when they put the when they go out with their secondary, and I'm talking about Sean Wade when he steps in and they're playing a nickel, but you're talking about guys that were built to play man-to-man coverage, press man, but then last year really excelled at playing still man, but were able to play off. You look at Arnett; he's he has a safety type body, but because of the way he's been coached there, he's really been able to develop and. This is a guy was thinking about leaving last year. Comes back, ends up being a first round pick. You look at Jeff Akuda. I was out there uh, actually the day that I saw them uh, this summer. You know, there were several GMs that were there, and they really were amazed at, or in scouts just what this team looks like and what those two guys look like. Because right now, and this is why I think Akuda went so high because he's an outstanding player. But there are not a lot of corners that look like him that can play man-to-man and can run, and that's one of the things that has really been able to help that program out. And I think these are going to be two players that are, you know have some tremendous upside in the NFL. They're going to take their luck. So there's no doubt about that. But they're going to, when they settle in and they understand the system and what they're being asked to do by both uh, the Raiders and also uh, Detroit, I think they're going to have fabulous careers.
1: Howard, I think it's time for you and I to start calling out these teams that don't have value for the running game. I think we need to I think we need to identify it too because as I'm watching the first round right and then get into the, into day two yeah. and it's just like are you going are you going to seriously tell me? that no team could utilize a J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. They cannot utilize you know, quality players that played the running back position like a Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. Yeah. How, how surprised were you? Um, and again, it was it was uh, round two for some, some was round yeah. three, but how much did that surprise you of how all of a sudden now people are looking at the running back position as if it's the fantasy draft?
2: Yeah, well, remember now, uh, until... Really, Ezekiel Elliott, I think he – what did he go, like four or five? Mm-hmm. When he went to Dallas, and then people all sudden, okay, well, maybe we ought to take a look. But what happened when you saw the Todd Gurley situation go left after they uh, awarded him the big contract, people fell back into that box where we don't need to spend a first-round pick on a running back. I think the other thing is this year the draft was just so deep with the wide receivers that you talk about, some offensive linemen and some um, defensive players – that, that so many wide uh, running backs had the opportunity to get well, forced, really forced down. And I think the other thing that's interesting to me, J.K. Dobbins was the best running back out there, all-around back. DeAndre Swift, it, it, he might he's quicker, uh, and, and it looks like he might be able to add something. But if you want to be able to pound the ball and thump it, you're talking about Dobbins and Taylor. But the other thing, too, Cam Cam Akers, who also went, uh, I believe, in the second round, there was not a, I would say, when you look at those four guys I named, none of them really jumped off as far as being that much better than the other one. and I think since they were so close together as players, I think that's one of the things that, that pushed them all of them down into the second round, but again, you know, it doesn't matter. There were a lot of players that went in the second round that I think are going to have Pro Bowl careers and, you know, as they all want to do is be Hall of Famers, and let's see what happens as their careers move
1: on. So Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, the um, the running back from Wisconsin, going to the Colts—that's not surprising. And Dobbins going to the Ravens because the Ravens mm-hmm. just nail it in the draft every year. Yeah. Not am I mean, they, <laughs> they just, know
2: what they're doing. <laughs> I
1: mean, it's, it's such an intelligent organization when it comes to the draft. Yeah. Always top heavy with quality. They know they, they know what they're that, doing. You know, you know, Lamar's going to run the ball and he's going to be able to pass it with that big arm, but also they understand the utilization of the running game with Dobbins. So not a surprise. What what do you think of Taylor? The next level? Yeah. We're talking about someone that was a second round pick going to
2: Indianapolis. Yeah. Another player that that I really like. I mean, I I think he's going to have a fabulous career as well. Uh, You know, what's been amazing to me about his career. And you talk about the amount of touches that he's had just in three years uh, with the Badgers. But he was always healthy. So he was always available. None of these shoulder injuries, hamstrings, none of that stuff held him out. He was always ready to go each and every Saturday for the program. So I think it's going to be that same style that he's going to give Indianapolis. And he's so much faster than people give him credit for. I think around ran 4-3 uh, at the combine, Was shocked a lot of people because he looks like a big lumberer, but that's not who he is. He still has that straight line speed as well. And I think he catches the ball a lot better than people give him credit for too. So, you know, as you start to grow at this game, you know, one of the things that he was not asked to do a lot of Uh, with the Badgers was pass protect. So that's something that he's going to have to improve on and get better and get more comfortable with. And and I think that's really the natural process for most running backs that really led their programs for for a few years running the football, is that they weren't asked to to really be involved that much in the passing game, pass protection game. But these guys are willing blockers, and I think they'll be fine.
1: I am um, curious about... uh... Your thoughts on some of these wide receivers as well that was taken from the Big Ten into the uh, into the NFL draft? As we talk about yeah. the draft with Howard Griffith on the Big Ten Network on ESPN One Thousand, so I'm hoping that in a few years that I am right about some of these guys because I was you know as you watch the draft you're waiting for names to come up there. I mean, is KJ Hill really seventh round material? Yeah. Or I mean, I mean seventh round deep deep into the draft, right? What do you What do you remember about KJ Hill uh, going to the Chargers seventh round from Ohio State?
2: He is a baller now, and this is one of the things you have to remember when you talk about KJ Hill. Right? You go watch him; he's competing against first round draft picks every day mm-hmm. in practice, and he gets open. You know, you don't you don't see that a lot, and for whatever reason, and, and I think a lot of the evaluation process this year had a lot to do with, you know, the coronavirus and things being shut down. But he is going to be an absolute steal. He's going to make a lot of plays and score a lot of touchdowns. I mean, because he, he understands the game. He can run routes. He understands what separation is all about. You know, watched him down at the Senior Bowl. Really did an outstanding job. And, and what I like about these these Ohio State guys, this is just one of the things, is, I guess it's just how they're, they're wired. They're always willing to help the opponent. So they're in a situation where they're competing in practice with, you know, a guy obviously is trying to make plays on them. But then after practice, they go back and, you know, they sit around and, you know, they work things out. You know, and that's what they do. And, you know, that's one of the things that will help players as they continue to move forward. But when you look at, you know, look at Hill, he's going to be a playmaker. He really is.
1: Yeah, at this, uh, I look forward to it. So I'll give you something that some have talked about here when it comes to the draft. So because the Bears uh, took Cole Komet at the time that they did, and you start to see how some of these dominoes start to fall, Howard, there was questions about Delpit from LSU as a DB and Ant- Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, <laughs> from Minnesota, right? So out of those three, Howard, who's the better player?
2: Grant Delpit yeah and 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 material ain't close uh grant battled a lot of injuries which i think hindered him in his ability to make tackles this year and, and that's what he was that's what he was docked for the amount of missed tackles that he had this year and winfield was given a lot of credit for the production the interceptions that he made this year uh i Grant is an unbelievable player, He's played at a very high level. I just think he, he just if he can stay healthy, oh man, you talk about range, a legit six three guy that that can cover ground, willing to hit, understands what the game is about. He is, you know, next level type player. I mean, there's a reason that he wore number seven uh last season for LSU. That number seven goes to the best player. On the team, and, and many talk about that if he had been able to come out as a sophomore, uh, he would have been a top top five pick. I mean, coming into the season, most people thought he was a top five pick. But then, you know, you saw the missed tackles, you saw some of the injuries that he had, and it just didn't—you know—he just ended up falling. But <laughs> I would take him in a heartbeat all day, every day.
1: I, uh, so lastly, I want to get your thoughts on maybe some other players that you're looking forward to seeing play on the next level. You watch the Big Ten. Any other players you're looking forward to seeing how they're going to fare?
2: AJ Epinesa in Buffalo. Mm Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that doesn't necessarily jump off the the tape, but he makes plays. He's very effective. But when you watch him and you're just sitting there talking to him, you wonder, oh, physically, he doesn't look like he's going to, he doesn't look, let me, he doesn't look like Chase Young. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're talking about. And he doesn't have the same gear that, that Chase Young has. But he is very productive. Last year was his first year being being a starter. But but I think he's going to make a lot of plays. Uh, Etor Gross-Mobios from Penn State, another defensive end, came out early, went to Carolina. I think that's a player that, that has a chance to really be special and go out and make a lot of plays, and, and I think a name that, that people probably ought to keep an eye on is Quintez Cephus uh, from the Badgers. That I think he ended up going to Detroit. I Think he'll be a, a really good player for them. And you know, talked about uh, we talked about Jeffrey Okuda. Jeffrey Okuda believed that he he was the best wide receiver and the toughest wide receiver that he went against his entire time at Ohio State. So that's pretty high praise for him.
1: Well, all right, my friend, I'm glad you, you uh, stopped by. It's uh, interesting, the Andrew Thomas pick for the uh, Giants over uh, Tristan Wirfs, because I know you watched it in <laughs> Iowa. But what's the Giants, though? You know, Dave Gettleman knows everything. Just ask him.
2: You know, so man, it's – Tristan Wirfs <laughs> is going to be a – He's a freakish athlete, and I'm going to tell you, if the, and that's one of the things that Iowa always, they, they, their guys are ready to go when it comes to the draft. There are a couple other guys that were drafted from there, and they always seem to stick and, and really pan out because I think they do a great job of really developing the players uh, there at Iowa. So it's a lot of players in the Big Ten to look forward to watching uh, as their careers move forward.
1: Man, just put it right down, State Street. Don't you? Want, aren't you just trying to tell us that if you if you're looking for a Big Ten player, you're looking for linemen and tight ends. If you're an <laughs> SC, if you're if, it, if, if, if it's the SEC, you're looking for skill position guys.
2: It's some dudes. Yeah, some dudes in the SEC that can play tight end too. But I would tell you those big defensive tackles uh, that can rush the passer. Like I thought Brown uh, from from Auburn you know, would be one of you know that. Go in that third spot, but they took Acuna. But that dude, I mean, he's a pass rusher. He's just not a guy that's, that's gonna, you know, suck up space. He can rush the passer from that defensive tackle position, and those guys are hard, hard to come by. Bryson Hopkins is going to be another good player, I think, out of Purdue tight end.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm looking at this list. There's some quality here that I enjoyed watching on Saturdays. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh what you know, how they are gonna fare in the next level. It's gonna be fun. Well, yeah, well
2: uh, hopefully we can get
1: back out on the field here pretty soon there, hoodie. Well uh, well that's the that's the thing. Like I don't have to go to the game. If they don't want me there, I understand. <laughs> like, I, I'll i like the experience on the big hd tv in the hood cave so it's good like listen, you, don't, you don't have to beg me to come out there or, ch- yeah. or no 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 it's it, until it's safe i'm good at the crib just put it on howard as always i appreciate it thanks for coming on the show as always
2: all right anytime buddy take care it is howard griffith
1: from the big 10 network uh, with us here as we talk about the nfl draft on espn 1000
0: He's Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 takes you back, back to 98, 98 with the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, The Last Dance. What time is it? Big time. The glory of Michael Jordan and the Bulls Going for their sixth title in eight years That wasn't Michael Jordan out there that was God disguised as Michael Jordan Jordan and the Bulls granted a film crew full access To document their bid for a second three-peat. It continues this Sunday night at eight ESPN's Jalen and Jacoby react to it immediately after Recap all the episodes on Mondays With Cap and Company, Carmen and Yurko, Bottle and Sylvie And Under the Hood. They lived it
2: I had to do what was
0: best for me. Watch this incredible 10-part documentary on ESPN. Talk about it on Chicago's home for sports, The The Last Last Dance. Dance. Presented by Coors Light, mountain cold refreshment. Take time to chill and please celebrate responsibly. You guys not allowed. No, I'm just kidding. On ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood.
1: The NFL draft has come and gone, but we still have plenty of time to talk about the Bears and the NFL right here at under the hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Um, so. My overall thoughts on the Bears draft was I thought that it was the right choice to get Cole Komet at tight end because they needed a tight end. Uh, never mind about 10 tight ends in the room. You need to have one good one, and they have one now in Cole Komet, who's probably going to be a cornerstone for the franchise for a while. And then uh, getting the corner Jalen Johnson because you need to have a corner. Uh, and so the Bears are able to do that. I'm just My disconnect with the Bears is not what happened on draft day because you know how it is because this might be I might be talking about you and if this relates to you I'm talking to you um, just always complaints on draft day I mean it's it just it could be the best player in college football you didn't get the cornerback that I wanted where's that interior alignment that we need look we know that the Bears have a lot of needs on the offensive line a lot of needs when it comes to um, their secondary um, more needs. I would say, uh, at the wide receiver spot. But the thing is, is that, but even before the draft took place last week, you just knew that just throwing money at holes is not going to get it done. Uh, You want to be able to have some new players and some fresh players on your roster that you feel that can elevate you to the next level. But when the Packers and the Vikings continue to be over the Bears in the NFC North, that's the thing that's such, that's so it's It's such a a problem when you're a bears fan because you're saying, okay, where's the success year in a year out for the bears? not just one twelve and four year then out of the playoffs you have to have sustained success in order to be able to even get in the mix. For the NFC Championship, and get to the Super Bowl, and so even before the draft, it was just kind of like, wow, you know this this team is set defensively and offensively in an offensive league. It still lacks behind. I mean, it, you mean know, I can I can quote chapter and verse all the numbers because you and I have talked about this for a while now in the off season on how the Bears need to get more points on the board. And it's almost like the Bears settled on their wide receiving core, just like okay, well, Allen Robinson's good, and you know we'll we'll do what we can with. um, with anthony miller and see how that works out and then all the other wide receivers in the team will see if what they can be able to help and to me you just have to be able to address that because an offensively need more offensive weapons Comets just one guy and i know this will be the cole commit draft because he was the first pick taken in this draft for the bears but it really shouldn't be it should be the ryan pace draft in which he was selling assets left and right to try to win now and who knows if the Bears are even going to be in the playoffs this upcoming season. We will see. Other teams that really stood out to me as far as this draft's is concerned is the Philadelphia Eagles by taking Jalen Hurts. And I, I've been reading left a lot of places, ESPN and Pro Football Focus and all these other places about now why would the Eagles get Jalen Hurts, the quarterback from Oklahoma? Why would they do that? That's, that's very odd. Why would they, well, the reason why that you'd get Jalen Hurts is because Carson Wentz can't stay healthy. You see the playoffs last year? I mean, there's a reason why McCown had to come in, that 40-plus-year-old McCown trying to piecemeal an offense together because, once again, Wentz is hurt. I don't know why it's a hit scratcher when Jalen Hurts, who has proven himself on, on two prolific programs in Oklahoma and in Alabama, both of these programs are at the top of the heap when it comes to college football. And he played for both. And he flourished in both. And he was drafted on um, day two of the draft for the Eagles, and he fell right to the Eagles' lap. And that's a great pick for them because they need somebody they can rely on that can stay healthy, for God's sakes. And, and Carson Wentz, and like, he can't stay healthy. And so that's why Wentz, why Hurts why is there. I don't know why that's a mystery. That's a good pick for the Eagles. Also, I, I believe that the... Um, A few other teams that stand out to me is Baltimore, and it's no surprise, right? Baltimore always does a great job with uh, with their draft picks. Baltimore, they need a linebacker. They got uh, Queen at the linebacker spot. They got Dobbins, who uh, Howard and I were just talking about the running backs uh, in college football, now going to the pros. Dobbins is a terrific player, running back. Duvernay is a top wide receiver out of Texas. Uh, So they drafted a few day one starters. So the Ravens do what they do, just excellent at the top. Once again, a terrific draft for them. Um, So I really like what they did. They that you have four or five picks there in which they can be able to pay dividends at some point for the Ravens. So that's a positive for them. I thought that, um, I thought among some of the other teams that I see here on this sheet, just looking through the draft, I thought that the Carolina Panthers Getting Gross Matos, uh, the defensive end from Penn State, was key for them. It's it's somewhat of a rebuild for Carolina, but they, they still want to be able to get some parts. They have some players like Jeremy Chim, the safety out of SIU Southern Illinois, uh, was a player that was going to be a top 70 player. He was fell at 64. So I thought that, that was very good. Um, the Vikings had a really good day. I think the Vikings had the best day of any team in the NFC North. I thought that the Vikings had a very interesting draft with Gladney and Dantzler. They have two corners, and if one is not productive, the other one is going to be. If they have two productive corners out of this draft that they had, boy, that's pretty strong for them. Um, They have a stud in Jefferson at wide receiver for them. Uh, Ezra Cleveland is an offensive tackle from Boise State that they were able to pick up. Um, so the Vikings, they had taken a wide receiver, offensive tackle in two corners. Um, pretty good. I thought they had a tremendous draft. I thought that the Ravens, I'm sorry, not the Ravens, the Rams had a very good draft as well. So it's, it's so many. To me, there's parallels to the Bears and the, uh, and the Bears, the Bears and the Rams. There's a parallel. And the parallel is is that the Rams were there, right? The Bears had a chance to get to the playoffs. They fell short because of the kicker, right? But the Rams were able to get through, break through, win the conference, and take on the New England Patriots. But McVay and Nagy are both offensive-minded. And... The Rams were able to get to the Super Bowl, and they laid an egg, of course, because for their prolific offense, they couldn't do anything offensively against the Patriots. And it was really a bowling shoe, ugly old-school game, but the Patriots found a way to win. So with Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley had some great moments at Georgia as a college football player against the pros doesn't have quite the same motor I'm, I'm blessed that i saw all of his best plays in college apparently because in the pros it just wasn't there so the rams addressed the running game by having acres uh he's gonna be a day one guy by default to be able to help that running game um they and it was acres when he was at florida state ran behind a bad offensive line and and, and still was able to get thousand yard uh, plus uh, out of that particular team and that bad offensive line of Florida State, and I just thought that they were able to get a wide receiver they needed as well. Um, so I, I liked what the Rams did uh, in their draft, and so and there's a few teams that stand out. But I thought that there's some teams here that really did well um, on the big board, finding holes. And to me, it's about hey, we we need this particular skill set for our team. Some teams did it well, and some teams like the Bears did the best they could based on their uh you know, based on their uh on how many picks they had. Uh oh. Uh before we get to tails from the hood, uh oh, there he is. Jimbo from Lockport on ESPN one thousand. Hello,
3: Jimbo. How you doing, buddy? How you doing, Jonathan? I'm good, thank you. What's going on? Hey, uh, I'm really excited. I have been down with the Bulls for about five, six years. I lost interest, but I I kind of think I like this. Ever is it Everly, the GM? Yeah, Everly. I, I kind of like this thing, man. I I like the way they're going, and I mean, if you're going to clean house, clean house. You know. Yeah. Well,
1: you 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 need new blood. You've had the same guys in there for a long time. It's good to have a different a uh, different opinion in there. Someone that's seen something different than just you know Deerfield for twenty plus mm-hmm. years.
3: You know? Exactly. That's like exactly. Not to cut you off, but exactly. It's like the Blackhawks ever going. Why? Why did they fire the president? Because they wouldn't get rid of Stan Bowman, and he didn't want to undercut him. You got to do it from the top down, Jonathan. You can't nitpick. I'm just going to fire the coach. I'm just going to fire this. You hire a man. You're the president of operations. You hire the general manager. He picks the coach. You know, so on. Right? Don't you? Just like the Packers. Yes, sir. <laughs> just, hey, like man. Your, just like your Packers. I, I like that, that love thing. Because you know what? We're not going to throw a guy in the hole. We're going to give him two, three years. He's going to get his feet on the ground. He's a young man. Green Bay is changing their offense. Yeah. They got that A.J. Dillon. He's a pounder with four or five speed. We're going to run that ball in Wisconsin in December. You have to. You have there's, to. No more, there's no more four guys go out. And we're gonna throw. We're gonna throw deep. You got no other choice. Game's you, over, man. Pa-
1: Packers don't have any All Pros at wide receiver, so you might as well run the ball. <laughs>
3: well, hey, we got one.
1: Well, wow. well, wow. you know hey, you should, those
3: guys gotta step up, man. They draft those guys. You gotta step up. You
1: should. You should have more than one. I think the Packers deserve more than one All Pro at wide receiver. How do you know they don't? Oh come on. Well, oh, I, hey. I, I guess if they did, I guess Aaron Rodgers wouldn't complain about it. Right. Oh, he wouldn't complain.
3: He complains. He's dating Danica Patrick. He got some there. All right. <laughs> call call tomorrow. Call me tomorrow, Jimbo. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Come on, man. The pack is back. Oh, we geez. won't accept under 11 wins. All right, Jimbo. Call back tomorrow. All right. I love you, Jonathan.
1: I love you, brother. There he is, oh, Jimbo geez. from Lockport, the Packer fan checking in. <laughs> Just with random thoughts She just had a, had a thought, decided to call in Alright, we uh, we'll review uh, The Last Dance documentary With Tales from the Hood that's coming up next
0: This is under the Hood With Jonathan hood On ESPN Live, Chicago's home for sports This is Chicago's home for sports Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app.
2: You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000.
0: What do you got
4: here? This is your car? My car?
0: I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN
1: app.
3: Here
1: we go. Tales from the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you are with me here. We give you stories of sports, entertainment, and everything else in between. Jared Payton, son of Walter Payton, broadcaster for WGN Channel 9, will get his thoughts about the Bears as well. He's always got strong thoughts about the Bears, get his thoughts about the draft and uh, the offseason for the Bears. So we'll talk about it right here on ESPN One Thousand. Um, Sean Davis is producing the show tonight, and Sean, I just—I um, have gotten a kick out of this. Uh, see, I gotta—I gotta move away from this Krause GIF because I'm just gonna laugh the whole time. So let me move this—the one dancing
4: on the plane after uh, this week. The
1: Red Cup Wiggle. Hilarious. Yeah. The Red Cup wiggle is just great. I just <laughs> I'm gonna move past this because I'm just gonna keep laughing at what I saw. <laughs> God, it's so great. I mean that's the best part of the, the documentary so far, just the, the Red Cup wiggle. I uh I, I have really enjoyed this and I mentioned earlier that it's just about the journey, right? How difficult it is. These how many shows have you produced, how many shows have you hosted in which your co-host or people that listen to you like they listen to me will say that, you know, why come Russ doesn't have a championship? You know, what's up with James Harden? I don't like the way he plays and all these, these people, you know, dissing some of the top athletes, some of the best basketball players out there because they haven't won a championship, not understanding the journey. Right. I mean, how difficult it is. And then on top of that, you know, we, we talk about how great, Russell Westbrook is. I'll just use him as an example because he's Mister Triple Double of the modern era. Well, Russ has to be able to to trust others too, and he does it to an extent because he gives you ten assists a game. That's so what he averages, but it's just about making sure that the big shots don't always come from him. It goes from other places. Uh, LeBron learned that. Some of the all time greats had to learn that, and so that's that's what I, I tie what we're watching now to the modern era in a lot of ways. It's very much like the modern
4: era, and that's the one thing you pick up is that I remember Steve Kerr in that series with Houston talking to Kevin Durant saying, look, there was a time. It's funny because he wasn't on that team, but he was pointing out the fact that in game five, it was John Paxson that hit the major shots. It was like four or five in a row down the stretch, and Mike said, I saw him hit the first one, and that let me know I can keep going to him. And he just kept going to him. It was amazed. It was an amazing thing to just watch the Lakers continually leave him wide open. They just refused to allow Michael Jordan to beat them in that game. And John Paxson stepped up and did what he was supposed to do, knock down the open jumpers.
1: I'm glad I'm glad that Jerry Reinsdorf is not as outspoken uh, as he once did in his what I would consider his prime I don't know if Horace Grant and the Blue Flu is in this documentary, but you know Horace got it too, just like Scotty and like the whole thing with Phil. Like Reinsdorf was, I remember this, you know, growing up watching the Bulls. Just, just how Reinsdorf was locking stuff with Kraus, loving the loyalty of of Kraus, and to me, it's always been about the players and the coaching staff to to help build an organization. Uh, I remember Horace Grant, you know, like Jerry are holding a a press conference saying that Horace Grant wasn't available for this game because he had the quote-unquote blue flu. Um, Of course, Horace was just part of that first repeat, but just, you know, there's a guy there that could have been part of the next generation of Bulls, but, you know, they moved on because the organization wanted to move on, you know.
4: Another underrated piece that they just didn't want to value or didn't value as much As other teams valued, I think his contract with Orlando was like the high. He was like the third or fourth highest paid player Mm -hmm. in the NBA, which is crazy at that point in time. And Scottie (laughs) Pippen still, we know from episode two, Scottie Pippen was undervalued. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan didn't get paid until his last three seasons. So when we look at that and you look at the modern era of basketball, you definitely don't see a lot of guys that are underpaid. You'll see a lot of guys overpaid. Oh, yeah. But
1: you won't see a lot of guys <laughs> underpaid in today's NBA. Did you catch the slight that Jordan had on Cartwright establishing the post oh, early? Oh, man. I don't want him to have the ball with five <laughs> seconds left. <laughs> Hell <laughs> no. <laughs> Hilarious. He, he, Hilarious. I know it's like small, but it, but that was something that Phil wanted to be able to establish the big man. Because that was, man, turn on any Bulls game. Turn on any Bulls game with Cartwright on it. And the post was established first. It's like, you know, the triangle came in and they, they got it to Cartwright so they can get the big man going, right? Jordan didn't even like that. I mean, 29 years later, he's still mad that they had to establish the post. Like, wait a minute. Bill got the first shot, maybe
4: the first two or three shots, and yeah. he was the first sub out.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. He was definitely the first sub out. Establish the post. I like that because you can always depend on that. Like the first, you sit down, watch the Bulls game, and there's Cartwright, you know. You know, it's funny. I didn't know that much about Cartwright before he came to the Bulls. I, mean, I don't think you you were too young to watch no, like Knicks remember. I remember, remember him
4: with the Knicks. Absolutely. I remember when the trade went down. I remember being upset because I was a huge Charles Oakley fan. Yeah. And, I mean, in connection with that, the next move was what? Doug Collins being gone? All of that that happened that we look back and say, you know what? It worked out. But at the time, Bulls fans didn't like those moves, but they eventually turned out to be very good moves and good components to surround Michael Jordan with the elements he needed to function at the highest level on the basketball court. I had to go
1: back in YouTube and watch Cartwright like in his prime when he was killing guys with twenty four points. <laughs> like, like like that that odd jumper was killing it on the baseline. Like was. I remember that. He couldn't hit it for us though. No, it was Oh, oh he couldn't hit it for us. <laughs> no, 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 that wasn't that wasn't gonna happen. Like every now and then, but boy, that was it's interesting. I had to go back and, and look at some of his life, like, okay, all right, putting it on the floor, going to the basket. Like, yeah. you know, a younger Cartwright, yes, but it just that's kind of funny. Were you shocked? That Doug was so
4: forthcoming, admitting that by the time the second season rolled around, he could feel that Phil Jackson was going to be the next coach.
1: I'm surprised that Doug said that on the record. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> What's your tidbit? Uh, somebody will tell the story of why Doug was no longer the head coach of the Bulls. And it's not going to be me. It won't be me. But he said he felt that Phil was going to be the next coach of the Bulls. And I can understand that because, again, the parallel is, it's like we have today, Gar, he knew that Fred was Fred Hoiberg was going to be the head coach while Thibodeau was in the job, right? We hadn't heard about Fred until like a year and a half out at, uh, left on Thibodeau's time with the Bulls. And so, you know, Phil with the uh, Collins, they, they, like there's – there's symmetry there where the uh, Tim Floyd and Phil, like, like already a year before we had step, we're a year in the, in the champ, last championship, actually the last year of Phil, we continue reading the papers about Tim Floyd. Like wh- why is Tim Floyd connected to the bulls? Well, because Krause had already started cornering the market on the next head coach. and It was Tim Floyd out of nowhere. So this is kind of a bulls thing. I won't tell the story of Doug though. You could tell that. Now the like. funny,
4: funniest moment for me was Ron Harper mm-hmm. going back in his mind to that '89 shot. Well, and saying, "I told Lenny Wilkins, Lenny Wilkins, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame NBA player. I told Lenny Wilkins, I got, I got MJ." And he said it twice. And Lenny Wilkins says, "Elo, you got MJ." I want Pip. You go you go stick Pip. Go to the corner and stick Pip. Everybody knew MJ was getting the ball with about 3.5 seconds. He called it BS. He still it was still he he's on the last dance yep. documentary talking about his three championships and the last of them that he won with the Chicago Bulls. And it still irritates him to that lets you know how competitive these guys are. It still irritates him to this day. That he lost that game to Michael
1: Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. It's still painful to a lot of guys. Yeah, I don't know what Lenny was thinking. That's supposed to be a great coach there. What was he thinking there? Like, it's Michael Jordan. There's only one person to get the ball because Pippen was not established, or Sellers was not established during that time oh, to really get the ball. Oh, you know, God. you know. So like, it just it, it's just the way history is written. You knew that Jordan's get the ball, but then you put Craig Elo on him. It's like Just interest. ridiculous. <laughs> Ron's still mad. And by the way, he said it clearly, by the way. No stutters. Yes, he, he did. He said it, he's, very, he's very clear. He's still mad. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, he was very clear. He goes, uh, you know, it's complete BS. Okay, whatever. That's what he said. I was like, all right, Ron, nice and clear so everybody can hear it. <laughs> he was not happy at all. I, I'm still just amazed at the... Um, I'm amazed at some of the footage that we saw from Phil Jackson coaching in uh, in Mexico. I just think, I don't know where they found that grainy film, but that was just fun to watch. I enjoyed that.
4: That was a part of his journey. I had no clue existed. Me either. Yeah, had no clue it existed. Me
1: either. I knew about the CBA stuff. I knew that. I just didn't know. I had no idea he had... <laughs> Coached in some woebegone country with those short sleeves and
4: clean shaven. <laughs> Isn't it funny? But maybe, is this something that has gone on and still exists today in the Bulls organization where it seems like management never wants their head coach to be able to feel comfortable? Yeah. They always want somebody on that coaching staff that can make them feel a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, Doug was uncomfortable with Tex Winter. Right. And, but but should have embraced Tex. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, look at what Tex
1: brought. I mean, I just you know banished him to the scores table. That was petty, petty, super petty. Yes, but 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 this is but this is coaching. Coaching no different than broadcasting or certain areas of business in which someone feels threatened because someone knows more or, or they have a different approach, and so now jealousy sets in, now envy sets in, and just and that was the that was also very underrated about the documentary too. Doug, why would you push that guy behind the scorer's table or someplace else away from your bench? Why? He can't help you? I mean, ultimately, it's your job to decide what you want, but just to push him away like he doesn't belong, well, that's not right. And, of
4: course, Phil just beloves him, spends time with him, downloads everything about the triangle offense, and what do you know? He becomes Chief Triangle. Carmel Electra still looks good, doesn't she? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I wonder if Mike knew she was there. She yeah. said she
1: hid. No, she knew. No, he, he's everywhere. Yeah. You know? I, I I told Eric last night, I said, um, you know, there is a connection to Dennis Rodman taking 48 hours or more away from the team, which was crazy. At that time, like, what, he's taking the, a sabbatical? Okay, whatever. I guess for... I guess for the normal Bulls fan during that time, it was just like, okay, whatever it takes for him to come back, right? What, if it takes 48 hours to go to Vegas, whatever. You know, LeBron did the same thing. Well, LeBron was more like a week, right? Yeah, like week, almost two. Yeah, <laughs> like, Went to Miami to work out with Wade or whatever. Yeah, first remember year this? back in Cleveland. You remember this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like he, he also took a sabbatical and a vacation and was wrecked over the cold for it. <laughs> And that's something. I wouldn't mind going with
4: Dennis. I would have been a teammate. Like, hey, do you need me to watch him to make sure he gets back? Okay.
1: It's kamikaze time. It's kamikaze time. Just <laughs> like one story of me hanging out with Rodman. Actually, there's several, but the one I will tell in the air will, will be um, during the Final Four uh, again in uh, in Houston. Rodman, for whatever reason, popped up in Houston. As the Final Four, and it's two in the morning, and the bar—you know—everyone's still scurrying around, but the bars are going to close in that hotel that we're in. That hotel bar we're in, and Rodman comes in. He has a feather boa, and he's with some woman. I don't know who it was at the time. Whenever the last time the um, Final Four is in Houston, that's that's the time I saw it. And he was just as nice a guy as possible. Sat down uh, on the at the bar. Uh, next to me and a couple other people and just shooting the, you know what, just this conversation and just to doing shots. And he was like, all right guys. And he just, just kind of just went on his way into the Houston night it was wow. a half hour didn't even ask him like basketball story we just asked him like his time in houston or whatever and i told him like i told him i was like dennis i i, I don't like these lines man i don't like i don't have to like stand in lines like i, I said you don't have a problem with that right he goes oh no there's a couple of bars where i had to stand in line at first i'm like really if they, they know you're dennis Robbie. he goes yeah he goes yeah bro i didn't like it <laughs> it's, like, it's like that was just just regular conversation you know so weirdest that-
4: experience I ever had Chicago party wise was going to the crowbar. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when Dennis Rodman was connected with the crowbar? Yes, Be- I do. Before yeah. So I go in there and I think we tried to go to another venue, and the venue was like full capacity. So like, man, let's check out the crowbar. We get in, we walk upstairs, it was like three levels. We get up to the second level, and it's like, okay. And we hear music on the third level that's totally different. We didn't feel the vibe on the second level. We go up there, and the scene was just, like, very erotic. I'll just leave it like that. Sure. Like velvet lounge chairs and chases. And, man, anything that can be going on was going on. Oh, yeah. And I immediately was like, nah, this is not my scene. (laughs) This is not my scene. (laughs) It's like, man, it's... Is Cliff Levinson's Riviera still open? (laughs) (laughs) We can always count on Cliff during the first p. What time is (laughs) it?
3: What time is it?
4: Most people don't know about Cliff Levinson's Riviera. It was a darn good time. Oh, boy. Yes, sir. Cliff still lives in the area. Yes, he does. (laughs) He actually had an event at the Riviera over All-Star Weekend.
1: (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. What time is it? Jack and Coke time. (laughs) Woof. And that's Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, Coming up at 9 o'clock, we will hear from Jared Payton, his thoughts about the Bears. And don't forget, if you're a wrestling fan, oh, I got you. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday, every Tuesday at 9 o'clock, 9.30, as we talk about uh, the AEW, the WWE, and everything else around pro wrestling. That comes up at 9.30 right here on UTH.
0: This is On The Hood with
1: Jonathan
3: Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000,
0: Chicago's home for sports.